All right, friends. Recording in progress. A formal welcome to a Daily Power Parsha. Today is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021, and it is fabulous to have you here today. I'm going to share my screen, and we are ready to roll. Okay, so we read the first two readings yesterday of the Torah portion of Balak. That's what we're up to. Basically, Balak is the name of a guy. He was a king of the nation of Moab. Moab and, and the king Balak, basically, okay, let me just, I want to share something I didn't, I didn't mention yesterday. Balak learns information, right? He sees what's going on. He reads the news, right? He's got the papers, got the websites, got cable. He's got, he's, he hears about the Jews, the Exodus, all that stuff, Sinai, Mishkan, and the 40 years of wandering, and now he hears the Jews kind of, you know, approaching the Holy Land, and some wars breaking out along the way. So what happens is that Balak becomes frightened. He becomes terrified. He becomes disgusted, whatever it is. He became fearful. Although it says Moab the nation, but the idea here is that it's Balak who stirred the fear. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is, that there are different ways that a person can react. One is that you're afraid, you swallow your fear, and you move on. Another way is that you're afraid and it completely consumes you. Are you with me on that? The, the idea of the, like fear, what, what does fear do? So you and I can't control what happens to us, or more importantly in this context, what happens around us, what happens in the world. But what we control is our reaction. So. There's fear, and then there's fear that leads to, to, to devastating results. You know, I wonder if I can pull up. Let me see if I can do some, uh, some recon over here. Right before the Torah portion of Balak, we have the Torah portion of Chukat. And that was last week's Torah portion. At the end of last week's Torah portion, reading number seven, look what happens here. They're, the Jews are about to engage in a, in a battle with um, Og, the giant, the king of Bashan. Moses ultimately actually kills the king, Og, king of Bashan. I mentioned last week, Og was going to throw a mountain. It fell on his head. Moses hit his ankle. He fell, etc. But look at what God says to Moses in verse 34. Do not fear him, for I have delivered him, his people, and his land into your hand. What we see here is that Moses was afraid to the point that God told him, don't fear him. In other words, God says to Moses, I know you're afraid. You have nothing to worry about. You got this. But you know what we find with Moses? The fear, uh, his fear of Og, his apprehension, never hit the people. I'll say that again. He was afraid, but his fear, he didn't start making everyone else panic around him. This is literally three verses before the end of last week's Torah portion. And then you fast forward. And then you fast forward to the beginning of our Torah portion and you have the first few verses. Balak sees what the Jews had done and Moab, the nation, became terrified of the people. The Rebbe points out that who made the people terrified? It was the king. The king panicked and he made others panic. And the Rebbe says this is the mark of failed leadership. A leader is someone who, even if they are afraid, they're able to maintain a calm disposition and ensure that the people are okay. In other words, to whip everyone into a panic and everyone into a frenzy doesn't do anyone any good. 
You're the leader, make sure you, so you're worried, great. Sit with it, deal with it, speak to a therapist about it, whatever it is, but lead your people calmly. Parents in a family. Give another practical example. Yeah, so parents. So let's say they're concerned. Let's say there's financial challenges, right? Should the kids be all concerned about it, consumed about it? Is that healthy? Of course not, right? If the parents are dealing with, you know, a job, you know, a job challenge, yeah, or a health challenge, not necessarily that the kid, okay, health I think gets into another question, okay, but the, the point here is that there's no mitzvah, right? There's no obligation to make everyone else frightened and worried. Does that, does that make sense? So the mark of leadership is Moses sets the example where he was afraid, but that fear never went to the people. Balak is afraid, and the people are terrified. They're disgusted, they're terrified. Everybody's whipped into the frenzy. That is failed leadership. When a, when a leader has to resort to fear-mongering, you know that it's, that it's a failed leadership. There's no reason for people to be whipped into a frenzy. You have something you have to take care of, take care of it, you're the leader. Right? You want to lead, lead. You want to make people afraid? You're in the wrong position. You're in the wrong position. Let's continue. So we, we started off with that yesterday. We spoke about his plan. He's going to hire this prophet. Well, he teams up. First of all, he teams up with his enemy, the, uh, another nation called um, uh, Midian. Right? So there's Moab, one nation, and Midian is the second nation. They team up, join forces, pull together resources to hire or attempt to hire Balaam, who's the prophet, the evil prophet, or the, the hitman, the hired gun, who uh, fights with his mouth. And they come to him, they send messengers, and he, he says, let me speak to God, and God says no, so he says no. They come back the next day, this is reading too, come back the next day, and they, they offer basically um, a blank check, and now Balaam is, is excited about the blank check. Hey, whatever you want, Balak is, uh, sorry, Balaam, the prophet, is now thinking, wait a second. So he says, you know what, I can't go against God, but stay another night, you know, let's try this again. He asks God, and God says, Basically, again, if you read it literally, you may not get this, but I'm giving you the commentaries on it. Essentially, God said to him in the last verse of the, of the second reading, which we did at the end of yesterday, if you want, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. If you want, go ahead. That doesn't mean that God is saying it's a good idea. God already told you what he thought. No. But if you want to go, I'm not going to foil your plan. God doesn't stop free choice from happening. Rabbi? Yes. Rabbi? I'm confused. So, Balak was nervous of Mo of Moses, right? The Jewish people. The Jewish. People. I'm con I'm confused about how how Balaam came into the picture. Balaam, it was a prophet. No, he was a dude. He was a spiritual guy. He was um he was a prophet, who had the ability to speak with God or or receive divine communication, and know how to utter curses and blessings that would be effective. They literally hired him to curse to try to curse the Jewish people so that when they fought against the Jews, they would be victorious. To curse his own people they tried to hire. No, to curse the no. Jewish people. So Balaam's not one of us. Okay. No, no, oh, right, very important. Balaam was not Jewish. So I asked yesterday, so why did God give this evil guy prophecy? And the answer that I said was because God, a few things. Free choice, once again. But also, God, I, maybe I didn't mention this. 
so that, no, that the nations of the world should never say, it's not fair, you never gave us a prophet like Moses. God did give you a prophet like Moses. And what would you do with him? Use them as a party trick. Use them as a, um, as a novelty act. Use them as a, you know, curse my enemy for me. That's what you used it for. Instead of spiritual direction and self-improvement and divine communication for how to live, you used it as a, I mean, he used it, they used it. All right. Next. Okay, so this is the third, yeah, but that's very important. He was not Jewish. He was, an, oh, one second. You want to know about Balaam? Here you go. Here's Balaam. Balaam was one of the original three advisors of Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh from Egypt who enslaved the Jewish people? There were originally three advisors to Pharaoh. Balaam, Job, I think it was Job. So he's old then. Balaam is old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was around. Well, no, one second. Um, the... Not necessarily that old, because, and I'll tell you why, um, the slavery started, you know, the slavery went on for 210 years. It wasn't always the same pharaoh. There were multiple pharaohs. At some point, it got much worse, and they started killing the babies, right? For a while, they were, I don't want to minimize it, but they were just enslaving the Jews and, you know, beating them to work. But then it got to the next level of murdering the babies. That was where the advisors... That's where the advisors came in, and, and Balaam was one of these advisors. So here we go. There was Balaam, there was Job, remember the guy Eov, the sufferer, Job, and there was also Jethro, Yitro, Moses' father-in-law, before he was Moses' father-in-law. Those were the three advisors to Pharaoh. Pharaoh comes to the advisor. This is the, the last Pharaoh of the Pharaohs that were involved in Jewish slavery, the one whom the exodus happened under. So this Pharaoh um, calls in his advisors, says, you know, worried about the Jews, this and that, like, what should we do? They're slaves, but nonetheless, etc. So Balaam says, kill the baby boys, right? Murder the baby boys, and then you're going to end, you're just going to end, eventually you'll end the Jewish people. Jethro, Yitro, who would become later Moses' father-in-law said, are you kidding me? No way. That's horrible. Um, you can't do that. That's, that's gone too far. And um, Job was silent. Job was silent. So basically what happens then is that Pharaoh takes the advice of Balaam sets out the campaign to kill the Jewish boys, the, the Jewish babies that were born, which is why, by the way, Moses, had, when he was born, he had to be put in a basket and hidden on the Nile River because, right, they were killing all the baby boys. Um, and, 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 and Jethro, Yitro, had to flee to another country, actually Midian, ironically, or not ironically, Midian, one of the two nations that we're talking about today, he had to run to Midian and he became a leader over there. And then eventually when Moses had to run away from Egypt because he had also crossed Pharaoh by killing the Egyptian who was beating the Jewish man. Remember that story? So he runs to Midian. He meets up with Jethro's daughter and they get married and that's, uh, they live happily ever after. But the point is that Jethro was one of the three advisors who, went, who, who voted against the infanticide, the killing of the boys, and he had to run away um, because Pharaoh was upset that he had not agreed with that. He went with Balaam's option. Job was silent 
But ultimately, we know Job was, Job was, um, he suffered, right? Job is the, is the sufferer. And it's attributed to his silence because silence in the face of, of, of atrocity is basically tantamount to, to doing the atrocity itself, right? If you're, if you're quiet and let, and let it happen and don't protest, it's the, it's, you might, might, as well be on, might as well be doing it if you're quiet. Silence is akin to complicity, um, complicity, being complicit in it. Um, so what's the point? Balaam was a long-standing enemy of the Jewish people. He, he didn't like the Jewish people, and he was hired here. So he was definitely not Jewish. He was hired here to curse the Jewish people and to bring about their downfall. At least that was the plan. All right, back inside. Let's do the new text for today. That's a little background information. Again, it's like, you know, the more you learn, the more of a picture you get of this whole thing. And it becomes, instead of like a two-dimensional story, it's like now three dimensions. Okay, everyone has a history here. These aren't just random people being thrown out. Like, there's a Balaam. He's been around for a while. He's, he's, he's worked against the Jewish people before, right? These two countries, Moab and Midian, now have an issue, now are afraid. They're now just terror, they're, they're terrified by the Jewish people for really no reason. Right? Because no, the Jews were not going to go into their lands. But they're terrified, so they hire this guy to curse the Jews, hopefully bring about, their hope was to bring about the downfall. So here we go. Um, the next morning, so this is the second attempt to get Balaam to agree to the deal. So in the morning, Balaam arose, oh, because God had told him, if you want to go, go. So in the morning, Balaam arose, hey Matt, welcome. In the morning, Balaam arose, saddled his she-donkey, and went with the Moabite dignitaries. So now he's all, he's all in. God said, if you want to go, go. He's all in. Now God's wrath flared because he was going. Remember when God told him the night before you can go? It's not like God said, I want you to go. He said, if you want, you can go. But was God happy with that? Of course not. God gives free choice. Does that mean that God is happy when we make the wrong choice? Of course not. Right? You give your child autonomy. Right? Or you give, um, you know, somebody on your team at work, you give them, you know, you give them the project. Okay? So do, it's your project. But if they mess up, are you not upset? Yes. So God is upset. I'm not saying to actually, like, you know, lose your cool or anything, but nonetheless. God's wrath flared because he was going, because Balaam decided to go. And an angel, listen to this. This is a great story. This is like up there with great biblical stories. And an angel of the Lord stationed himself on the road to thwart him. And he was riding, Balaam was, on his she-donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now, this happened to be his donkey, his donkey that always went with him. He had this go-to donkey, and that was, uh, that was what he was riding. So the she-donkey saw the angel of the Lord stationed on the road. And the angel had his sword drawn in his hand. What does an angel look like? What does an angel with a sword look like? I can't answer that question because I didn't see it. But this is what's going on. So the she-donkey, but the she-donkey did see it. So the she-donkey turned aside from the road and went into a field. Right? You're on the road. The donkey's on the road, Balaam's on top, and it pulls off the side. It pulls off onto the shoulder, onto, the, onto a field. Oh, Balaam was incensed. Balaam beat the she-donkey to get it back onto the road. He started 
hitting, clapping the she donkey. Okay. Fine, they're back onto the road. The angel of the Lord once again stood in, in a path, stood in a path of the vineyards. So can imagine they continue their journey and then they, they're on the road and there's now a vineyard with a fence on this side and a fence on that side. So now they're going through a narrow space. The she-donkey saw the angel of the Lord and she was pressed against the wall. So there, was, there wasn't much of a shoulder to go off of. So it went as far as it could to the side against the wall or the fence and she pressed Balaam's leg against the wall. Right? You see what's going on here? It's, yeah, like squeezed against the wall. So once again, he beat her. Next, verse 26, the angel of the Lord continued going ahead and he stood in a narrow place at this point where there was no room to turn right or left. In other words, there's no field, there's not even a squeezed area to go through, there's no right or left, it's just super narrow. The she-donkey, verse 27, saw the angel of the Lord and it crouched down under Balaam. It decided not to go any further, it can't go around the angel, so it stopped. Balaam's anger flared. This is a third time. Clearly, the dude has anger issues, and he beat the she-donkey with a stick. Okay? That's it. The Lord opened the mouth of the she-donkey. Just in case the story has not gotten out of control yet, that with an angel with a sword and the donkey seeing an angel, now the, the donkey can speak. Right? This is like Shrek. Maybe some inspiration for Shrek. So the she-donkey she begins to speak. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Why are you hitting me? Balaam's, as if it's normal, as if it's a normal conversation, Balaam said to the she-donkey. He doesn't say, How are you talking? No, he answers. For you have humiliated me. That answer is so telling. Wow. Wow. Look at that. He's not angry because he wanted to go somewhere. He's not angry because, you know, he's late. He's not angry because his leg is sore. His feelings were hurt. Look at this guy. Look at the can't handle his feelings. Look at that. He's humiliated by a donkey, so he beats the donkey. Are you? And this is the guy that you want to, like, handle the situation? Right, this guy who has zero control over his feelings, you have humiliated me. If I had a, and then he threatens her again. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The she donkey said to Balaam, "Am I not your she donkey on which you have ridden since you first started until now? Have I been accustomed to do this to you?" In other words, think about it. Ha haven't I been your she donkey for a long time? Yes. Have I ever done this to you? No. In other words, just trying to get him to realize, like, well, maybe th something's going on that you don't realize. So at this point, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand. He bowed and prostrated himself on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you beaten your she-donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to thwart you for the one embarking on the journey has hastened against me. When the she-donkey saw me, it turned aside these three times. Had she not turned aside before me, now also I would also have killed you and spared her the she-donkey. 
So what we have here is just like, just mind blowing. The donkey sees the angel, the donkey stops or whatever, deviates from the path, Balaam beats it, the donkey starts speaking, why are you hitting me? Balaam answers, you've humiliated me. She says back to him, have I ever done this to you before? No. And then Balaam sees the angel. The angel has a sword and the angel says, what are you doing? Why are you hitting the donkey? I actually am here to try to prevent you from going because you're doing something wrong. And had, you, had the she-donkey not done what it did, I would have killed you and spared the donkey. But the dialogue is not done yet. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing on the road before me. Now, if, I, now if it displeases you, I will return. Basically, Balaam says, I didn't know. I didn't see. I had no idea you were there. So if, if, if you're upset, I'll go back home. 35. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men. But the word I will speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with Balak's dignitaries. Essentially, although, again, I'm going to stick with the way I explained it before, even though this may sound like a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a twist in the story. God doesn't want Balaam to go. He told him originally, don't go. Balaam says, please, can I go? And God says, do what you want. Then God sends an angel, essentially, for a demonstration. And I'll tell you what that is. And ultimately, the angel says, if you want to go, go. But let me tell you what the message of the angel is. Who sees the angel first? Who saw the angel first? The donkey. The donkey. Balaam, right? Balaam, my buddy. You're all arrogant. You're all like, I'm the guy who can curse the Jewish people and bring their downfall. Sure, even a donkey can have more of a spiritual awareness than you, if God so chooses. Balaam, you're not a big shot. You're not a big deal, right? If God wants even... Your she-donkey could have more prophetic vision, spiritual vision, divine vision than you. You get that idea? Right? Does that make sense? It's like, come off of your high horse or donkey and recognize that it's not actually you. It's all about God. So Balaam says, so should I not go? He still wants to go. The angel says, go. It's fine. You can go. But nonetheless, you're not going to go against what God wants. Okay. Let's, uh, well, let's welcome, we have Matt and Mark. Welcome, guys. Okay, let's jump back into the story. Um, so Balaam went with Balak's dignitaries. That was the king of Moab. Now, Balak, verse 36. Balak heard that Balaam was coming. In other words, that he had agreed. So clearly there were messengers that went ahead of the group to say, okay, we, he agreed the plan, is, the plan is on. He's, he's, uh, he's headed your way. So Balak, he went out toward him to the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon at the extreme edge of the border. Arnon is, we had that before. Arnon was where the, the, mountains things, the mountain things were crushed. Anyway, um, the point is that uh, Balak hears that Balaam is coming, so he meets him on the board, at the border. Balak said to Balaam when he arrived, did I not send to you to call for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I indeed incapable of honoring you? So the first thing is, how come you didn't come the first time? Why did it take a second set of representatives to get you to come? I called for you. Why not? Well, you don't think I can honor you? 
Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. In other words, I'm here. Take it easy. I'm here. I, I arrived. Do, do I have any power to say anything? The word God puts in my mouth, into my mouth, that I will speak. He tells Balak as follows, I am here, but nonetheless, you should know that I do not have any power to say anything on my own. Uh, he asked it rhetorically, do I have any power to say anything? Right? Um, only the word that God puts into my mouth that I will speak, essentially saying, don't expect, well, I mean, you can expect you, what you want to expect, but it's, uh, it may not happen exactly as you wish it to transpire. So what's the le- So we're going to continue to reading four in a moment, but what are some lessons that we get from reading number three? Number one, number one, we spoke about, well, actually, we spoke about the, the, the notion of, um, of not, not peddling fear. You're afraid, swallow it, deal with it, move on. Don't make others panic around you. Balak makes everyone panic. We spoke about Balaam um, and, his, and, and his donkey. His donkey is, um, has greater vision than he has, has the ability to speak. Basically, God, God can give the gift. God can take away the gift of vision, of prophecy, of, of, of spiritual awareness. And Balaam needs to be humbled before this experience even starts. So that takes us to the fourth reading. Okay, at any point, remember, you can always unmute and jump in with questions or comments or insights, etc. So here we go. The two are now hanging out together. Balaam the prophet, Balak the king. So Balaam went with Balak and they arrived at Kiryat Chutzot, a city of streets. Apparently it had some streets in the city. Kiryat Chutzot. Balak the king slaughtered cattle and sheep and sent some to Balaam, the prophet, and to the dignitaries with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and led him up to Bamot Baal. And from there he saw part of the people. So basically they went up into a mountain or to a hill top, probably a mountaintop, and they looked out and they could see some of the Jewish people that were encamped. Remember, the Jews were traveling, but they were in the, in the area. So they went up on a high mountain. They could see some of the Jewish people encamped. See if we have a Rashi here. Um, okay. <laughs> he took him to Kiryachutso, the city of streets. Rashi says, a city full of markets with men, women, and children in its streets. So as if to say, see, have pity. See and have pity. So that all these people are not annihilated. Right? The king, again, He's playing the victim. He's like, look at all my people, innocent people, and the Jews are going to slaughter them. I really need your help to stop them. Again, the whole thing is based on just absolute fake news. The whole thing was not even part of the plan. Jews were not going to conquer the, the, the nation of Moab, the land of Moab. It wasn't even going to be a thing. Numbers chapter 23, let's begin a new chapter, reading number four. Balaam said to Balak, this is the prophet, said to the king. Here's what I need. You want me to curse the Jewish people? Here's what I need. Build for me, build me seven altars here on top of the mountain. And prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. I need seven altars, seven, you know, altars, flat platforms. And I need seven bulls and seven rams. All right? Done. Game, game time. Balak did as Balaam had requested. And Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Seven altars, seven bulls and rams. Each one had a bull and a ram offered on it. Balaam said to Balak, the prophet said to the king, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. 
Perhaps the Lord will happen to appear to me and he will show me something that I can tell you. And he went alone. Essentially, the prophet said to the king, stay here by the altars where we just brought these offerings. I'm going to go wander off on my own and maybe I'm going to get some sort of divine experience, some sort of prophecy, some sort of situation. So God chanced upon Balaam. So he go, he wanders off on his own. God chanced upon Balaam. Chanced. The Hebrew word is vayikar. Vayikar means happened upon, chanced upon. Balaam. And he said to him, God, um, I'm sorry. And Balaam, the prophet, said to God, I have set up seven altars. I have offered up a bull and ram on each altar. As if God doesn't know. So Balaam says to God, I did this for you. I brought you these offerings. The Lord placed something into Balaam's mouth. Okay, what does this mean? This means that God essentially granted communication to Balaam's mouth so that he was speaking not his own words, but God's words. He was channeling God's words. And he was hoping, was Balaam, that the words that would come out would be a curse. But as we'll see, it's not exactly a curse. So God placed something into Balaam's mouth and he said, God said to him, return to Balak and say as follows. Dot, dot, dot. When he returned, when the prophet returned to the king, Balak was still standing, I'm adding the word still, was still standing next to his burnt offering. He and all the Moabite dignitaries, because again, the prophet wandered off. So the prophet Balaam took up his parable and said, here he begins delivering God's message. Right? He had wandered off. God appeared to him. God gave him a message. He goes back, and now he is going to say, tell the message. Here it is. Quote, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse Jacob for me, and come invoke wrath against Israel. He's basically <laughs> describing how we got here. Right? Balak hired me brought me from my home in the mountains of the east, asking me to curse Jacob and invoke wrath against Israel. So Balaam says, he continues to say, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I invoke wrath if the Lord has not been angered? For from their beginning, I see them as mountain peaks. From their beginning, the beginning of the Jewish people, I see them as mountain peaks. And I behold them as hills. It is a nation that will dwell alone and will not be reckoned among the nations. Let me explain. All of this, you should know from here to pretty much the end of the Torah portion, all of these readings have allegory, have Balaam, the prophet, speaking in poetic language that requires a lot of commentary to decipher. So, and, and there are hundreds of commentaries on, these ver on every verse here. I'm going to give you one take on it. You know, I'm choosing one take. There are many you can explore, but this is one way to understand it. Yes, we'll get there in a second. Yeah, that's, that's coming up soon. From their beginning, from the beginning of the Jewish nation, from their origins, I see them as mountain peaks that refers to the patriarchs, and behold them as hills and the matriarchs. There were great people who rose from society, everyone was pagan. Everyone was serving the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then you had these 
heroes of spirit that rose up like mountain peaks and hills, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. You have these great giants of spirit who formed the Jewish people. From their beginning, I see the mountain peaks and the hills. It is a nation that will dwell alone. Again, let me give you an angle on that. Nation that will dwell alone. The Jewish people are not like everyone else. They don't have the same set of rules. They don't have the same set of destiny or the same, the same, the same detailed purpose. Yes, collectively everyone shares a common purpose overall. But the Jewish people have a very specific role on earth. 613 mitzvot. A nation that will dwell alone. This reminds us that we are not looking to assimilate. Right? It's okay to dwell alone. One of the presidents of, of Israel once came to the Rebbe, maybe the, one of the prime ministers. And they were talking about making negotiations and giving up land for peace. Remember, you know that whole thing, land for peace? Like if we let you move in next to us, like we'll give you the next door, even, even though you're, you're stated, I mean, you've told this to me, you've written it down, you've demonstrated that your intention is to get rid of me, but so that you like me, I'll actually move you in next door to me. That's what Land for Peace is. And so I'm going to give you something tangible in return for what? So I give you land, and what do you give me? But what's peace? A smile? Sure, I'm not going to kill you. I mean, what are you getting in return? The Rebbe was very much against land for peace. In addition to giving away Israel, which is, you can't give away. God gave it to you. How can you give away God's gift? Number one. Number two, what do you, it's a bad deal, right? You're giving something tangible for something intangible. But this fellow said, no, but if we get, one of the prime ministers, I forget who, or, or presidents of Israel said, no, but if we give it away and we make negotiations and we make, you know, we do all this stuff, then we'll be normalized amongst the nations, so that we won't be dwelling alone anymore. And the Rebbe said, this is part of the blessing of the Jewish people, not the curse. Balaam tried to curse, but this is the blessing. A nation that dwells alone is not a curse, it's a blessing. A unique identity, even today in the, even today in the world, we've realized that the goal is not a melting pot to, 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 to eradicate everyone's identity, but to appreciate to appreciate diversity. Diversity means that you're different than me and I'm different than you and that's okay and we can get along with our differences. A nation that dwells alone is a blessing, not a curse. We have to be proud of our own unique identity. I shouldn't hide the fact that I'm wearing a kippah because I want to blend in with the crowd. I don't want people to see that I'm Jewish. Why not? Right? I don't want to stand there with tzitzis flying out from the side of my pants because someone's going to say, what are those strings for? Right? I don't want to stand out why not? What's wrong with standing out? Again, in 2021, everyone wants to stand out. We live in a world where everyone wants to stand out anyway. Might as well stand out Jewishly. Anyway, a nation that dwells alone is a good thing. And, I will not, and will not be reckoned among the nations. Just because everyone else wants to do something doesn't mean that we are going to follow. The Jewish people are proud. Yes. From following up on what you're saying today, you know, this year, um, you know, there's so much emphasis. We have to recognize this uniqueness of black people, brown people, and Asian people. And we are lumped in with white people, but I feel like we are unique within that. 100%. We don't get, we don't get any specific. 
I agree. I agree. Listen, I, I agree with you that Judaism, Jewishness is not a, um, what's, what's the right word to say? Yeah, it's not white. It's not any, it's not a color, right? Because there are Jews of all stripes, of all colors, of all shapes and sizes. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely a minority. Jews are definitely a minority. I mean, like a super minority based on the other big religions. Oh my, it's and like a, such particular customs is what, is what is the other ethnic groups are trying to say, you know. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now, I don't think we need to be like, you know, we don't have to play the victim either. But I, I agree with your core point, which is like, yeah, it's sometimes it's overlooked. Look, I, 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 I agree with you, but at the same time, I think the idea here is to be proud. To be proud of who we are, to be strong. So this is still, again, we're still in the middle of the, um, the statement of Balaam the prophet. And Balak, the guy who's paying him big bucks, right? The guy who hired him to curse the Jewish people. What's he getting? There's mountain peaks, Hills, dwelling alone, they don't, they're not going to be reckoned among the nations. All right, let's continue. Who counted the dust of Jacob or the number of a fourth or the seed of Israel? I like the seed for that translation better. In other words, who can, it's almost like who can count? Who can count the dust or the seed, the dust of Jacob or the seed of Israel? In other words, the Jews are going to be very influential. Who can count the influence even when they look like dust? Right? Even when the nations will try to trample them like dust, they're still going to rise and, and accomplish great things. May my soul die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Balaam says, I wish I was like the Jew. <laughs> Balak the king. That's it. And that was it. Balak, the king, said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them. What are you doing? Balaam answered, the prophet answered, saying, What the Lord puts into my mouth, that I must take care to say. What do you want? I told you already from the beginning, I can't say anything that God doesn't want me to say. At least he was honest about that. So here we go. This is the first attempt at cursing and the first series of blessings. Talking about the Jewish origins, the strong roots, the strength of the children. So the parents are strong. The parents, the patriarchs and matriarchs are mountain peaks and hills, strong and defiant and unique and original and counter, you know, counter culture, not afraid to go against everything else, not afraid to challenge convention. And the people, the children, have the same conviction, the same individuality. And the people are going to be accomplished. Maybe they won't be the most numerous in numbers, but in influence, very influential. And then he says, I wish, I wish I had that same blessing like, like, they, like they have. So this is a summary of curse attempt one. There's going to be three attempts in this week's Torah portion. This is the first attempt. Every attempt is going to fail. Every attempt at cursing is going to end up as a blessing. What's, what's, what's actually fascinating is that some commentaries point out that you could see from the blessings what Balaam wanted to curse them with. 
because it's kind of like the opposite of what the bless of what the curse would be. Of what the blessing would be would be the curse. But anyway, we don't have time to get into those commentaries into the details. But that is that's an overview or that's a, a a basic understanding of this. You should know that there's a lot of Rashi. You see all that Rashi? There's a lot of Rashi over here. Um, I I, use, I quoted some Rashi's or I gave you some Rashi's and. Um, And other stuff. Okay. All right. Questions, comments? Jump in. Ari, overall, uh, Balaam sounds very Jewish. He does. He doesn't sound like a goy. It sounds like, sounds like a Jew. Everything, everything in which he says. Yeah. Yeah. He sounds like a friend, not, not an enemy. But right, that's... Even before the blessing, it's just just that we talk about Hashem this and all that. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't say that they're God. He says Hashem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely had a close relationship with God. He definitely had a close relationship with God, and God blessed him with prophetic visions, and God communicated with him. He but he tried to use it for evil. He used it for selfish and evil purposes. He was no friend of the Jews. I mentioned before. I'm not sure if you were on when I mentioned this that Balaam was originally, in his uh, previous life, one of the three advisors to Pharaoh and the advisor who gave the suggestion, who gave the advice to throw the Jewish boys into the Nile River to drown them upon birth. Yeah, he was the guy that gave that suggestion. Um, he was no friend of the Jews, even though he had this, um, this spiritual connection. Why did he have, such a, if he was such an evil guy, which he was, how did he have a spiritual connection? We explain um, that God wanted to give the nations of the world a chance. God said, look, I'm giving you a prophet. Let's see what he does with the power. Let's see what you guys do with the power. And they used it for curses. They tried to curse other people, which is not cool. Um, Ray, yeah. Um, okay, so... While he was going to curse them, on the other hand, he saw the tents. He saw how they were living together with the flaps up and yet next to each other. So he, he said, Matovu Oholecha, he ended up blessing them. Yes, correct. So that's going to come in either tomorrow or the next day. You know what? Let me oh, take a quick look. No. Let's see if we can find this. Yeah, no worries. It's definitely in this week's parasha. Um, that will come. Let's see if it's tomorrow. Um, no, not tomorrow. Let's see if it's the next one. Yeah, this is in reading number six. We'll do this on Friday. We got the Matovu right here. Matovu, Alech Yaakov, Mishnah Yisrael. This is from the, we say this in the prayers every morning. We quote Balaam. Yeah, we'll speak about it. We'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, he has three attempts to, cur to, to cur he tries three times. And each time he fails. You should know that even as much as he believes in God and talks about God and God this and God that and I can't do anything other than God, when he opens his mouth, he's still, he's still trying to curse the people. But he can't. He literally can't. He can't. It's like someone else, something else is speaking through him. So I, I guess I would like to... Hey, Donna, jump in. So God took away his free choice. Right. So much for my idea the last two days. <laughs> Blows that up. You're right. What can I say? I will tell you, I will tell you that, first of all, 
It's okay to also have conflicting messages and, and, and have to sort that out. It's also okay. But I will say this. Um, in the Torah, we do find intervention on some occasions. Right? God ultimately intervenes with Egypt and Pharaoh, bring the ten plagues and ending slavery. That's an intervention. Right? God didn't wait for Pharaoh to become enlightened and abolish slavery on his own and say, you know what? I actually think that I should just let them do their thing. God didn't wait for that. Right? So there is some divine intervention. What I was extracting is, you know, even in the story that we will have strong intervention, we see that there was still an element of free choice whether to embark on the mission or not. But ultimately... I'm oh, sorry. I was yeah. odd that he was like three times told don't go or don't do it, right? And how? That's pretty. Yeah. Odd. He never learned. Yeah, he didn't learn. At the end of the day, but you know what? Maybe it's it's the same thing as actions and outcome that I mentioned two days ago, or maybe three. Uh, I, did we even have two days ago? What was yesterday? Yesterday, two days ago, we didn't we didn't meet. Um, you know, there's there's what we do, and then there's what happens based on what we do. So we control our choices, but we don't control the outcome. So maybe Balaam chose to curse, and he opened his mouth to curse. The outcome is a blessing because God controls the outcome. I understand that raises a question. So if God controls the outcome, so how come God didn't stop atrocities? How come God doesn't stop atrocities? Sure, somebody decided to pull the trigger, but maybe God should jam the gun or cause the bullet to go somewhere else. I It definitely is part of a plan. As to why God doesn't, when and how and why God steps in to change outcomes, I, I, I did mention that yesterday. That is already in the realm of only God knows. And if I would know, I would be God. And I, I'm just letting you know I'm not, so I don't know. So that's uh, that's where I'm, that's where we're holding with that. Anyway, but some definitely some uh, some food to food for thought, something to think about. As we, um, as, we, as we go through this. But it's going to be interesting because we'll find you know, these incredible blessings. Blessings that are unparalleled in Torah. Like the greatest blessings of the Jewish people come from out of the mouth of Balaam. And from Moses comes like sometimes like harsh words to the people. Like, come on guys, stop complaining. You know what they say. If Moses blessed us, everyone would say, yeah, of course he's going to bless. And if Balaam cursed us, chastised us, of course, he's, he's an anti-Semite. But when the Balaam blesses you, you take it seriously. And when the Moses chastises and, 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 and critiques, you also take it seriously. All right, so some ideas to think about. Um, we'll close it out for today. Tonight, don't forget, 7.30. 7.30, we have Torah studies. The topic will be, will the real Messiah please stand up? So that is tonight at 7.30. We'll see how in this Torah portion... Balaam not only shares some of the greatest blessings, but also some of the only messianic prophecies in the five books of Moses are shared in this week's Torah portion by the wicked dude, Balaam. Um, so that's tonight, and we also just released an email. You may have seen it. It came out like an hour or two ago. Sent out an email with information about our brand new course called Resurrection of the Dead. If you want to know more about that, one of the foundational beliefs in Judaism, number 13 of the 13 principles of faith. 
We've talked about it, you know, bits and pieces in classes before, but we're going to have a three-week series, a three-part series dedicated exclusively to the topic of the resurrection of the dead. It starts Thursday, July 1st. So that's it. Check it out on the website, intownjewishacademy.org slash resurrection. And let me know what you think about the design. It's a very interesting design. All right, my friends, we'll see you soon. Have a great day. Take care, guys. Bye.